This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. I was really excited to hear that this gentleman was coming in. It's Wellness Wednesday. Um, uh uh-uh, uh, now you're making noises too. <laughs> I already laughed. Okay. He's a uh, former <laughs> NFL linebacker turned radiologist. Hmm. And he's opening a mar- medical marijuana clinic, which I'm sure some of you are interested in. Let me welcome to the show this Wellness Wednesday, Dr. Hervé Damas. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Were you giving like yourself that. your own applause? I, yes. I, yeah. I had to like cue it in. I knew <laughs> yeah. it was coming. He's so. like, I'm, I'm a fan of what I do. <laughs> yes, I love myself. I uh, like the way she said my name. Yes. Oh, okay. so. I'm not mad at him. Nice. <laughs> you play for the Buffalo, Buffalo Bills, linebacker. Not- that means you were hitting people. I love doing it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> love to hit love people. To, that, was to my, hit. <laughs> that was my thing. You grew up in Brooklyn? Brook Nam in the mm. 90s, 80s, 90s, 70s, 80s, 90s, when Brooklyn was like, for real. Huh? It was real. not the Brooklyn that it was today. Not. It it's was not. It's not gentrified like, Brooklyn, <laughs> nah. Williamsburg with the uh, hipsters. Like. And, so you grew up with, do a die bed style? Were you I did, I grew East up in New York? Flatbush, man. Well, okay. Yeah, All right. Yeah, what, did y'all have a name? Because it was do a die bed style. What was Flatbush? Flatbush. Never run, never win. Yeah. What you got? just straight up flatbush like you no, know we had a rep need here. nothing else we didn't need anything you know what's funny sure. when you grew up in brooklyn you kind of knew when somebody said they were from an area you kind of knew a lot about them mm. right so somebody would say i'm from brownsville you knew something about them yes. right? they travel in packs they got a deep crew like you mess with one of them it's like yo you you know the whole squad is gonna come and they right? ain't running from you <laughs> right you know <laughs> People say, yo, I'm from Vanderveer, right? They're from the projects. It's wild and crazy. Like, you know, so certain people you just knew, like, you know, like, you know, people from Coney Island, right? Oh, you're right. You're in the pre- PJs out in Coney Island. You isolated. Who knows what y'all doing? What you're right. capable of, right? Right, right. And so Flatbush <laughs> was like where all the Caribbeans yeah. and West Indians come from, right? So it was mm-hmm. like a bunch of wild, wild, like, you know, we don't speak English. We don't know your norms and customs. Like, you <laughs> and <know>. don't care. <laughs> do not care. <laughs> do what the hell we want to do. <laughs> don't need your stores. <laughs> Got their own. <laughs> we're going to do our own thing so straight. And we were big fans of machetes. So, wow. <laughs> so that was that. Tools from the homeland. Yeah, <laughs> listen, it cuts down sugar cane really yeah. well. Let me and and other things. I, I, I just listen. So, Allegedly. how did Mr. Damas uh-huh. uh, end up at Brooklyn Tech, which is one of the the best schools in the country? That's right. Say it again uh, for I all am, y'all people yeah. out there. Recognize the Brooklyn real Tech, Brooklyn Stuyvesant. Tech. Yeah. All right, I'm just. It, did did you? No, I didn't. Let's <laughs> let's move on because you are clearly not someone to be trifled with. We were just talking about David makes man, which is about a kid coming of age, leaving one neighborhood, going into uh, yeah. a, a, another environment. For you, what was that journey? So um, it's a crazy story because I wanted to be an astronaut as a kid, mm. a little Haitian kid. Like I was like, yo, this is my thing. I was into space exploration, and um, we were living in a, a little two-bedroom apartment in Brooklyn, um, in Flatbush, 21st and Newkirk. Mm-hmm. And there's six of us, right? So this is like immigrant story, for real, for real, you know. I got an accent. Kids are like, yo, my name is funny. So he used to call me Hervey. Like, the whole thing was like, you know, you'd be fighting. And So um, when I, my folks made enough money, we got a little house in Queens, right, in Smithfield Gardens in Jamaica, Queens. And I wound up going to middle school for like half a year in Queens, and I hated Queens. I didn't know it. It's typically, ah, I don't know anybody here. And plus, 
y'all make too much money out here. It's like, I still, you know, we lived in Queens, but hey, I wasn't rolling you in Queens. You didn't have a Queens income. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we did, right? Pretending. Yeah. Right. So I was like, I want to go back to Brooklyn. And they gave us this little book that was like, here are all the high schools mm. you can go to. And I really want, I was really big on this astronaut thing. So I looked in the book and there was Brooklyn Tech. I like scrolled through it and it was like, they have an aeronautical engineering program. So I was like, all right, that's it. Well, you got to take a test. Yep. All right. So took a train. I took the test at Stuyvesant, actually. <laughs> that's why I was traumatized. Yeah, that's right. I knew it was not a place for me. So I took the test and I got into tech. And so my whole plan was I'm going to go to Brooklyn Tech. I mean, you know, getting the aeronautical engineering major. I'm going to go to the Air Force Academy. I had this all mapped out at like 13 years old. I'm at tech. And I'm standing around, right? And I'm seeing all these freshmen get picked on and stuff, right? And I'm standing there like, yo, somebody mess with me, it's on. But at the same time, it's no good to be a lone wolf, right? So I'm standing around in the lunchroom. I even remember like um, winding up by the football table, right? And they was all like big dudes and had their jackets on and they had like three tables for themselves. Nobody could sit at the table. And then, like, you know, I saw some kid, like, sit at the football table, and he it was like some out of a movie. He got, like, uh, atomic wedgie and, like, you know, tossed across <laughs> the lunch. I was like, yo, those are my kind of dudes. Right? <laughs> I need to hook up with them. There's safety over there. So um, they had tryouts for football. I saw a little poster for, like, football tryouts, and I was like, well, you know, I want to do something. Actually, no, seriously, I was like, you know, I always wanted to participate. I love football. Let me go try out for football. Had never so you had never played? played? No never Pop played. Warner? Nothing, no... nothing. Huh. I had actually, uh, baseball was my sport. I really liked baseball. The only football we played was like the football in the streets. Right. Like, you know. Soccer like, football? Between, like, not even oh, the Haitian like football. football. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> not even not the, the Haitian football. Right. Not, right. not football. Where you're, you're blocking cars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were doing that like in the street. Like, hey, you know, the touchdown is two sewers and like, you know, the gray car is a first down. Like, we, mm. you know, that was the only football I played. So I, I tried out for the team. I remember being super nervous, um, not knowing all the rules. Uh, to this day, my, my high school coach still tells the story of like, you know, um, like one time they punted the ball. I was on punt team and the ball was in the air, right? <laughs> I caught the ball, right? I was like, don't you, don't you, you on get, the wrong side? I, yeah. You're not supposed <laughs> right. to do that, right? And he's like, what are you doing? I was like, like, you know, we kicked the ball. I caught the ball. He was like, no, no, no. And then he put on a little accent. No, no, no. That's not how we do it, man. <laughs> so I had to, like, learn the rules of football. But I fell in love with, like, I fell in love with the competition. I fell in love, like, like the, the camaraderie and the challenge, the challenge that it was. Like, that really, like, it, it like, grabbed. Like, a, a big part of me was just kind of, like, here's this big, challenge every day you know there's fears that you have to overcome there's like you know there's these new things that you're learning and I really liked that part of it and that and there was this this satisfaction that came from learning a skill and then putting it into action and seeing that progress and looking back and said well I didn't know how to do that and now I know how to do this thing and like it's you know building layers on top of layers fell in love with it well, I when was did you know bigger. you were good after you learned the rules I knew I was, surprisingly, I knew I was good the first time we had contact, like 
we had hitting practices, right? So we, we did all the tryouts. I remember making the team and like jumping down the hallway. There were two times in my life I jumped, like I jumped for joy when I got news. One when I made the team in high school and one when the Bills offered me a contract. Like I remember two times like jumping like I was in an old school Toyota commercial. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I knew I was gonna be good at it realistically. Um, the first day we had hitting practice. We're talking with Dr. Hervé Damas. Doctor, okay, so you play football with the Buffalo Bills. You're drafted or they offer you a contract. Mm -hmm. You're making millions of dollars. Look, I'm putting that out there. Because that's a myth, right, uh, since a, we're here. That is a big myth. Yeah, that people think professional athletes no. make millions of dollars. No. But that only the elite, only the people yeah. whose faces we see on the Wheaties boxes and on the Nike commercials. Mm. So what was the contract like? So that that contract was a minimum contract, I think at the time, if I this is a long time ago, maybe a couple hundred thousand. You, he man, act like that's not a lot of money. No, you, that's good you, money. What you were you yeah. make that? Yeah, well, well, you, for, and you for, thought you were getting drafted. Twenty-one. What did you yeah. Think you were so at that, yeah, I was twenty-two. That, that's, um, that's a nice yeah. piece of change. Yes, so, but if you thought you were getting, so I'll tell you. I'll, here's an example. One of my boys was a linebacker. Um, a brother, a young brother named um, Damian Covington. I had a funny story about him. You know, bless his soul, he passed away. Um, his signing bonus, he got drafted in the third round. He's from Jersey, as a matter of fact. He, His signing bonus was like a couple hundred thousand, mm -hmm. right? So I was like looking at a signing bonus of hundreds of thousands of dollars and looking at a salary. I don't even think my salary was $200,000. I think it was less than that. It might have been like the rookie minimum there was like 150, 160,000. Um, so how many years were you in the league? One year. That was it? Wow. One year. Of, Blew out, absolutely shredded my knee, destroyed mm. my knee, ACL, MCL, PCL tear. Wow. Yeah, oh and medial meniscus tear. So Whoa. Like, yeah. So the plan then, <laughs> so no, the plan, was space still an option? <laughs> so, so the plan after the injury was to rehab and get back in the league. So I had always, you know, I'd subscribe to this theory that if you just really really just try as, as hard as you like, give your all, it'll turn out well. So it had happened with football, right? It was like, hey, this is what I wanted to do, give your all, turn out well. You know, it happened in all these things, with school, with everything else. So I said, well, this is my first time being injured. You just gotta go all in on this, right? This is my challenge, and it'll turn out okay. Um, I remember the team physician for the Bills. <laughs> this is another funny thing. I, and. It's funny to look back at this stuff now, but uh, so at the time I was like, there were other guys who had had these knee injuries. So um, I was asking dudes, like, give me some advice. What should I do? What kind of surgery? Like, so some guys had um, what's called an autograph, which is where they take a piece of tissue from your own body, usually patella tendon and graft it or a hamstring tendon and graft it and use that as your ACL. And others have had what's called an allograph, which is where you take tissue from a donor usually a cadaver, mm -hmm. and then put it together, right? And there's complications and there's, you know, pros and cons to each. Um, so I wound up going to the Erie County Public Library in Buffalo, 
right? It's like, you know, I'm living, I'm on crutches. This is 95. I'm looking up articles on microphone. Back in the days, you had to like right, do it. Like, right. so you there was no Google. There was no, no, Google. There was no Google. So I'm looking at these <laughs> things and I printed them out and I brought them back to the doc. And I was like, you know, I read these, <laughs> read these journal articles and they said that, you know, there's a greater chance of re injury if you do an autograph and then there's muscular. I want an, I want a, an allograph. And he looked at me and he was like, you went to the library? <laughs> it was like, yeah. He was like, and you printed out all these journals? It's like, yeah. Please don't tell us. He don't ask you if you read. <laughs> he was like, uh, swear to God, he was like, that's not common. I just want to let you know wow. that. right? It's like, you know, there might be a future for you in medicine. And mm. I was like, fool, you're going to fix my knee. <laughs> it's like, you're going to fix my knee. I'm going to play 10 more years of football. I'm going to go to the Hall of Fame and retire, and everything's going to be great. And then he patted me on my shoulder, like real patriarchal. It's like, sure. <laughs> and I remember like, oh, don't you touch. I was like, oh, how dare you doubt me? You don't know it. Look, look, look at right. me now, right? I wound up in medicine years, years later, but he was right. So mm. you, when did you go to medical school? I went to medical school, medical school, I think I was 36, wow. 37. Mm. So that was much later in life. What, what prompted that? Because that was about 15 years after yeah. this. Mm. So you didn't was, get back on the fo football field. Yeah. The, the surgery happened, but you mm. did not recover. I did not. They, they yeah. No. All the king's horses and all the king's men. <laughs> Couldn't put that knee back together. <laughs> no, I could not. I tried. I really tried for for a couple of years and, um, you know, went through that loss of identity phase mm. because you've, you know, this is the person you've been for all my, for all my, you know, my, my kind of adolescence and early adulthood. I was a football player. Uh, I was captain of my team in high school, captain of the team in college. I was like, that was, I was that dude. So... You only kind of lose your identity. So the way I kind of, um, the way I kind of like compensated for that was to stay active in fitness and training because I had gotten so involved in trying to rehabilitate my injury. Mm. So uh, I became the strength and conditioning coach at my alma mater at Hofstra, just to kind of like I had to do something. And then I started taking grad school courses in physical education there. It's like I had to do something, right? This football thing ain't, ain't happening. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was like, I'd given up on the astronaut thing, right? So I was like, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I wound up becoming really, really um, entrenched in the health and fitness and wellness. Mm -hmm. Wellness Wednesdays. Wednesdays. Um, I started working at New York sports clubs, started teaching for them. I got like, I, w I was teaching like step aerobics and kick. I was like straight up tie bowing people. Well, Billy you, Blanks. Please tell me you weren't wearing those. No, I was not wearing tights. the Unitor. No, you know, I was at the little spandex. <laughs> no, that would have been vulgar if it, I. Oh, <laughs> let me find out. All right, let's go to break. No, just like. All right, feels like a Friday. I'm sorry. I just. I, Wellness anyway, Wednesdays. I'm on my business. Yeah. Tell us why this cannabis, this hemp, is good. It goes a long ways back. Um, you already so, got people on Twitter calling you a good storyteller, so I know they just like cozying up to the speaker. Like, Grab a seat. <laughs> so um, if we look at the history of that plant, the hemp plant originally, it was part of uh, man's medicine cabinet for, I think we can date back to written recordings of, of, of people using hemp as, as late or as early as 8000 BC. Mm. We've got some 
pictograms of that's older um, than the bible yeah we're, we're talking about a long, t- long time ago right <laughs> and um we're looking at this plant cannabis hemp is a subspecies it's actually a sister plant of the cannabis plant it grows to have low thc content usually about one percent thc thc is the molecule which we refer to as cannabinoids which makes you high so you usually tell people if you're confused thc is the high component oh, right and cbd um cares for your body really mm-hmm. so you can break it down that way and you understand which one gets you high and which one does other ones right but it's not that simple but it's a starting point so we've been using hemp or cannabis in some form for at least eight thousand years you know been using it in form of teas, making, you know, boiling it down and making salves for it. It's a great analgesic, which is means painkiller. Um, so if you've looked at the way that the plant has been used over the millennia, it's been used for anything from menstrual cramps, post-birth pain, um, bumps, bruises, uh, you know, a number. Topically? N- topically, right? So you rub it on your body. Uh, it's a great anti-inflammatory. Mm. And what's happened uh, what really happened was in the 1930s, we had the uh, Marijuana Prohibition uh, and Tax Act, right, 1937. And that really started to change. It really ruined the hemp industry in the U.S. There were a couple of things. Um, hemp, besides having this medicinal property from cannabinoids, THC and CBD, hemp was a major source of textiles, which are the raw material That's for clothing, right? right? Yeah. We use it for papers, for paper, um, we can use it for concrete. So it was really... Concrete? Concrete. Yeah, hempcrete. Mm. You use hemp for plastics now, we use it. And then in certain applications, you can use hemp for uh, graphene, which is used in computer chips. So it's a plant that has a lot of uses. But back then, it was really used for textiles, some medicinal... Was, even before then, it was a competition for cotton. Correct. Mm. And so it you've grows been doing, freely. So mm. you've been doing your reading. That's right. Well, so I read I'll, the Behe- Behold a White Horse. <laughs> I don't right. know how scientific that is. Yeah, so... Um, Be- Behold a Pale Horse. Behold a Pale So before Freudian. the cotton gin, mm-hmm. <laughs> before the cotton gin hemp was our primary predominant source of textiles right cotton mm. gin was invented and now you can get a hundred slaves to do the work of a thousand so i can go to this cotton and get this stuff right i got this machine that will make it happen a lot quicker than if i have all these manual laborers out here so fool you with this hemp stuff i can get this cotton stuff to do it and that's pretty much started that in terms of its industrial uses and, and uses that also the, expanded this the slave uh correct industry the because now they needed more cotton to feed yeah. the gin and yeah. more bodies to more feed body the to feed the, to feed the, the cotton right? so you can like you're basically you know what would they use the term now would be scalability mm. <laughs> right? wow wow. <laughs> wow and so and so hemp had to be illegal because yeah. it was competing economically Economically yeah. with mm. the cotton and the, the bodies and the gin. Yeah. Mm. So you have the cotton. and so, then you But also, you got to demonize it before you make it illegal. Yeah, you have so, to demonize yeah. it. Yeah. So you also had a couple of other players in the space. You had Bayer Aspirin, which had lost its patent its exclusivity oh. to aspirin itself. So now you can make generic versions of aspirin. Um, and so hemp was a hemp uh, was an analgesic that was used a lot. People were using cannabis and not only hemp, but just like straight up cannabis, like, hey, tinctures were a big thing. You know, a lot of people use that. And so now you've so got- So if, if I have this hemp tincture, I don't need to go to the pharmacy and buy your bottled aspirin? I don't need to buy your mm. bottled aspirin. That's I need to buy your hit. Yeah, your acetaminophen. I don't need to buy this stuff mm. because I already have a connection 
to this other thing. And it grows in my backyard. Freely. Freely, yeah. Mm. They call it weed because... It was a weed. weed. It just grows. (laughs) Actually, we actually transported it. So if you follow the migration of the plant... Come on, black people. uh, It hasn't been dispersed throughout the planet Mm. along traditional lines of disbursement. So you look at either uh, insects or birds or wind or water you know, kind of dispersing plants or vegetation, it's actually followed man's migration patterns. Mm. So wherever we, we've gone, we've brought the plant to us. So that implies a certain amount of significance to mm. our sustainability and our existence. Because we're only taking seeds and plants on our well, journey yeah. that we can <laughs> we need, carry that yeah, are valuable. Yeah, right. and so you would want to make the argument where either A, we really wanted to get high, like, hey, hey, man, bring the weed with us. Or B, it's like, hey, make sure you don't bring the medicine with us. Like, right. you know, so I would postulate that early man, our ancestors were saying, bring the medicine with us because you know we're going on a journey. Like, mm. we're going. Make sure you have that with us. You know? And so, wow. So all of the, because I'm skeptical now that I see billboards and everybody's getting in this business. I'm like, this mm-hmm. is a business. It mm. is a business. You're in it, so yep. I'm, I'm good. I'm I, I'm glad to meet you, and you seem like an honest man. But don't let the bow tie fool you. No, I'm, no I, I see you. I see through all of that. <laughs> uh, but but the power of what you're saying is super important. So mm-hmm. how do we know who's giving us the? Because not all things we're just seeing Correct. now vaping. Right. Vaping came out. Yeah. Everyone's exactly. like, this is an alternative to smoking. Mm-hmm. This is better for you than smoking. Uh, they got flavors. It's good. Kids started doing it now. People are dying. No bueno. Yes, we know that now. <laughs> Will we find out five years from now that, oh, you've been on the CBD thing, and oh, mm-hmm. guess what we just discovered? So we got a couple of things. My role in the space, and I really got into the CBD space because of patient uh, needs. When I opened my center in Florida, we had a long backlog in terms of patients being able to qualify me, qualifying them, and then be, them being able to go to the dispensary and buy their medicine. So I've had patients who had to wait. One patient who was a former football player, um, he waited three months before he got his card, right? So you come to me, most people who come to my office come to me because they're in bad shape. I've been everywhere. I've tried everything. I heard somewhere, like, you know, this might help me. I might as well, right? They're like, right, they're, they're the last, this, yeah, this is it, right? So they resort. come in, there's yeah. a there's a certain amount of desperation there. Mm. I That's really how I got into space personally. Like, my personal experience is what moved me into the space because I was a non-believer. But when you when you first began practicing medicine, what type of medicine were you? So when first I first started was radiology. I'd fallen okay. in love with interventional radiology. I was really good with my hands. I liked the procedural aspect, and it was like interventional radiology was a combination of um, surgery and radiology. So I did my internship in general surgery here in the Bronx at at Montefiore, Albert Einstein. Nice. And then um, I was doing my residency in uh, diagnostic radiology at Mount Sinai, Miami Beach, and then I left that to get into the cannabis space. So you let so radiology targeting cancer. So tumors. radiology has a number of different aspects, sub subspecialties within it. What I wanted to do was interventional, which was vascular. I really like vascular and oncological uh, treatments. I got into medicine because my mother died of breast cancer. Mm. So my whole kind of thing was that was always in the back of my so mind. So when she was diagnosed, she was like, "I need to." It was, it was, it was a, it wasn't even like that. It was when she was diagnosed, I was like, what? Cause it was the second time she had been diagnosed wow. and, um, I didn't understand what was going on. I really felt inadequate. 
I felt like I should know more. So I felt like, man, I know I'm smart enough to be able to, to figure out what's going on a little bit more. And, and this is my mom. She's going through this for a second time. You guys, the doctors are basically speaking in another language. I had mm. no idea. A good friend of mine uh, was a cardiologist, was really helpful during that time. And I remember calling them all the time. And they're like, yo, dude, you know, this is what they're saying. This, can, can you help out? And I just was like, man, well, you know, I'm thankful to have this really close friend of mine to help me out, right? And he did a lot, realistically. He got my mom transferred from a bad hospital to a good hospital. So shout out to Dr. Williams, Rashawn Williams. Mm -hmm. If anybody needs a good cardiologist in New Jersey, that's my dude. He's interventional, he's excellent. Excellent. Went to UPenn undergrad, Temple. So another brother, mm -hmm. you know, played football with me in high school, Brooklyn Tech. Oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, um, but I really felt inadequate. Like, man, I can't help my moms. And so I'd said to myself, there's something I got to do. What tipped the scale, and this is the wildest story. One day I, I, I went to see her. I used to go like three or four days a week to go see her. Some days I would take her for chemo or whatever and went to see her. And she was like, hey, 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 won't you, won't you come take a seat? I was like, what's up? She's like, I see you come around here all the time. And I appreciate you spending time with me. I was like, oh, you don't have to mention that, Ma. You know, you know I love you, right? She's like, yeah. But you know, are you happy? Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, I think, yeah. I, I was like, what do you mean? I remember it was like, what do you mean? She goes, well, I see you all the time, but you look like you're going through the motions. Mm -hmm. You don't have any fire or vigor. And I was like, I'm good. I got a great job. So I started running down my list of accomplishments mm. and things. I was like, I had a great job at that time. I was working at Trenton state college, which is a college in New Jersey. I was their wellness director and I was a professor in the department department of health and exercise science. So I was pretty good at the college. Right. And she's like, and I'm like, well, I got my, you know, I got a big office. I got like two assistants, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, yeah, that's nice. But are you happy? Mm. And I was like, you know, I just bought a new truck, it's like $50,000. And I was like, you know, I vacation, whatever I want to. It's just like, that's great. But you still haven't answered my question. Are you happy? And after she asked me the third time, I was like, I give up. All right, like, all right, what are, you, what are you trying to get at here? And I, I realized I hadn't said I was happy. And she was like, well, you're going through the motions. She says, I remember when you played football and you were into the football thing. That's what she called it, the football thing. She's like, no, he's into the football thing. And he watched that damn draft. <laughs> yeah, in right? a row. She was like, yo, you loved it. Like, you know, that was your thing. I can tell. She's like, I can tell. And she says, right now, you don't have that. She's like, you're way too young to be walking around here and settling. And I was like, mm -hmm. ma, I'm 32 years old. Right? She's like, well, won't you, you're not too old. Why don't you go do something that you enjoy? Now, this is a woman who was aware of her impending death at the mm. time. I wasn't aware of that, but she knew that she was dying, right? I didn't know that. So I had blinders on, but mm. she knew she was dying. So she was giving me a gift as she as she was dying. And uh, we went to a list of things and she was like, then you want to be an astronaut? I was like, I'm too old for that. She's like, ah, oh, this and that. She's like, aren't you into the body and all this health and wellness <laughs> stuff? Why don't you become a doctor? Mm. And I was like, a doctor? You want me to go back to school and do all that work at this age? And she said to me, and I'll never forget this, 
you never struck me as the kind of guy that was afraid of hard work. Wow. That was it. Like, she pulled my heart out of my chest. It was like, I challenge you right there, right? You going to be a sucker or you going to man up? And uh, I remember that day going home. I called my brother who's an attorney, and I said, hey, dude, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a doctor, <laughs> right? He's like, great. Yeah, really you paid me no money. Great, I think you can do it. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I got into med. I decided to become a doctor. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> I'm 32 incredible. years old. So Wow. Oh, we got a bunch of calls, and we have no time, but I can oh, sit here and man. listen to you forever. That's, that's yeah, all right. This happens. This happens. Let me get one question in because people got questions. We got Dr. DeMoss. DeMoss is here. Let's go to James in Ohio. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, Doctor, I'm concerned about uh, diabetic neuropathy, pain, nerve mm -hmm. pain. I've had over the last probably five, six years. I've been on uh, Lyrica, uh, numerous other Neurontin, number of different medications. It doesn't seem to settle itself. I was just wondering what, how, what is CBD's role in handling nerve pain? Cannabinoids are really good for neuropathic pain. Traditionally, we find that higher THC concentrations help you out. Um, CBD is a great anti-inflammatory and a moderate pain reliever or analgesic, but combinations that have a little bit of THC. You're in Ohio, and I think you guys do have a medical program. Most people who have neuropathy, diabetic neuropathy, um, enjoy concentrations that are mostly um, CBD, right? Because it allows you to function throughout the day without being high. Usually you find people use around 50-50, which is half and half in, in the medicinal states, right? So that way you won't be high, but you can get your pain relief. And the reason that it works is because of these cannabinoids actions on electrical signaling at the nerves. So cannabinoids are released from your postsynaptic nerves. I'm going to geek you guys out with some major science right now. You thought this weed doctor stuff was all a farce, right? I'm going to hit you up with some hardcore science. So in the postsynaptic nerve terminal, you have the release of, the, of these cannabinoids, which are then taken up by the presynaptic nerve. By doing so, it allows inhibition of neurotransmitters, part of which are responsible for pain signaling. Mm -hmm. So when you get these cannabinoids, and these are your endogenous cannabinoids, your body makes this stuff. When you use the plant cannabinoids, you basically either copy what your body makes or you increase the efficacy of what your body makes. So by doing that, you start to decrease some of the excitatory nerve signals, which is what you get in neuropathy, right? Everything just like, it's like, yeah. yeah. Right. And so people talk about like these sharp stinging pains. So that's why THC and CBD are great, mm. a great analgesic. And they also also interact with your opioid receptors, your mu and delta opioid receptors, which are responsible for pain relief, and which is why people get addicted to opioids. Most common complaint wow. is pain. So you have this interaction with these mu and opioid delta respect receptors, uh, opioid receptors, which then don't cause addiction. Mm. Great did, message. Did we ask the difference between CBD and hemp oil? Not ah. yet. Mm -mm. Let's so get that quickly. Let me hook you guys up. All right. So the dif the difference between CBD, THC, medical marijuana, and all that good stuff. You're going to hear the words marijuana and cannabis refers to the same thing. Marijuana is when we're speaking uh, legally, right? All the laws. So you get arrested for marijuana possession. But when you're speaking scientifically, medically, it's usually cannabis. Mm. So that's the difference. And all that means is that that compound should it will have in legal states somewhere upwards of 1% THC. Remember, THC is the high component. Right. It will alter your cognition. We'll do a lot of other things, right? But that's what we're concerned with with that. CBD, on the other hand, 
you can find that you'll find both of those things, CBD and THC in both marijuana and hemp plants. Hemp plants are similar to marijuana plants, but they grow to have low levels of THC, mm. less than 1%. When you get CBD products, the federal regulation is less than 0.3% THC in that product. If it has more than 0.3% THC, then you're looking at a marijuana product. You need a license in your state for that. If it's less than that, then it's legally across the country with one caveat. It has to be extracted from hemp. If that CBD comes from marijuana, it's, it's a problem. It's a problem. You got to promise to come back because you are a pleasure and a treasure. Oh. Uh, don't tell nobody I said that. Dr. Hervé Damas is in the building. Thank you so much for being here, sir. Appreciate you. you. 